And welcome to Waking Up with Juliana Forlano on WBAI's 99.5 FM. It's Thursday, April the 4th. Today on the show, Greg Pallast. First of all, this man is a blessing to independent media and research. And uh, his work is amazing, but also his personality is really fun. So it's great to do the interview. Uh, Trump, uh, he is saying that Trump is just about to name Chris Kobach, the new immigration czar, and that the real agenda of that naming is voter suppression in 2020. Um, the, the article he wrote is going to be a nation of change. You can read it, but we did discuss it, and we're going to discuss it right here live on the air. I We also discussed the fact that, um, you know, Greg also covered Venezuela during the Chavez presidency for BBC Television Newsnight and for The Guardian. And in another article that he's writing on Venezuela, he talks about how white supremacy is key to Trump's coup there. This is a conversation I had with him yesterday morning, hot off the conversational presses brought to you, my listener here on WBAI. Who is Chris Kobach? K-O-B-A-C-H. That's Coke with a B-A in the middle, which is perfect explanation of Kobach. He, I've been hunting this guy for six years for Rolling Stone and others. And um, look, he is the vote thief in chief for the GOP. He's the guy who comes up with all these schemes like, for example, requiring that you prove citizenship to vote. Uh, which uh, began with, he was Secretary of State of Kansas, just ran for governor and lost, by the way, um, which is why he's moving over to the Trump administration. Uh, Trump wants to find him a job. But uh, he's a guy, you know, you're a citizen, and he's also mixed it with immigration. He understands the connection between immigration and uh, uh, suppression and vote suppression. The two things go together. For example, he's the author of the infamous SB uh, 1070 which was the uh, Arizona driving while brown law that cops could pull you over on suspicion of being an immigrant. In other words, you're brown. And uh, his, he was the lawyer for Sheriff Joe Arpaio, if you remember, the only uh, sheriff since the, the days of the, of the battle days of segregation to have been criminally charged with racial discrimination in the operation of his office. Uh, he is funded. He's also funded... Uh, by the Cokes, that was part of my investigation for Rolling Stone. Uh, uh, he, he's been running this operation of, of uh, coming up with laws uh, against immigrants in towns which, uh, you know, say you can go to jail for giving an immigrant a job a, uh, an, or an illegal alien a job or, a, or selling them a Slurpee becomes a crime. These, all these things, SB 1070, these crazy laws for these towns all found illegal, but he's made hundreds of thousands of dollars as a lawyer. He was also the lawyer for FAIR, which is an organization founded by a guy who says its purpose is, and this is a quote, to maintain a European American majority. He's the guy who said that there's a million people who voted for Hillary Clinton because that ran across the border, illegal aliens. In my film, Best Democracy, we, we have a bunch of uh, aliens coming out of a spaceship uh, wearing uh, uh, Hillary for president buttons and sombreros. <laughs> um, so that's the only evidence we've ever seen is, is in the cartoons in my film. But most important, one of the most devious evil things he's come up with is something called interstate cross-check. Um, he promoted this once the Voting Rights Act was gutted. He was running this program out of his office in the state of Kansas for 31 almost all Republican states 
where they were looking for double voters, the elusive, illegal, fraudulent voters. And um, now I know that uh, he, and guess what? I'm the only journalist that actually got a hold of the target list, the names and addresses of the illegal voters. And by the way, there's 7.2 million Americans suspected of registering two states or voting in two states. This is a crime. And guess what? Um, there are 538 suspected double voters, double registers in the state of Georgia, all named James Brown, because believe it or not, they found James Brown in Detroit. They found James Brown in Arizona. They found wow. James, you know, and all, and all these, by the way, it's James Thomas Brown and James Edward Brown, um, over, uh, over 2 million names had mismatched middle names. There were juniors, you know, fathers and sons, juniors and seniors are marked as the same voter. It's so laughable, it would be laughable, except that uh, we figure about 1.1 million voters, mostly voters of color, Garcia, Brown, Jones, Lee, Ho, lost their votes. And that, by the way, not Russian interference, is what elected Hillary Clinton. Uh, excuse me, what didn't elect Hillary Clinton as president? She was voted in but uh, Trump, uh, using the Kobach systems, was able to become president despite the voters. So this brings up a lot of question. Where did this Kobach guy come from? Is he like just a Nazi who, once the swamp was drained, is rising to power? Where did he start before he became this sort of evil, uh, clearly racist, uh, voter-purging, fascist-allowing uh, well, I, I wouldn't call an, an, an evil vote purging fascist a Nazi. That's just a Republican, okay? <laughs> he's a Republican. And so he's a, and, and understand, he's the guy who came up with the idea. And by the way, I had a, you'll see in my films that I actually had to jump him. I had to disguise myself as a local uh, film crew, a local TV station crew in Wichita, Kansas. And then I put on my hat and it was like, uh-oh. And he's trying to run away. He literally tries to run away from me while he's eating vanilla ice cream. And he's still trying to eat the ice cream, yelling liar, liar, and running running from my camera. Liar. But I showed him the uh, evidence that he was, you know, illegally purging voters, the hard, cold evidence from his own inside files. But I got to tell you, he then called me later to try to talk me out of writing this story for Rolling Stone. And he told me, for example, that he's the guy who came up with the idea of Mexico paying for the wall. That's his baby. Uh, he was also, if you remember, Trump appointed him head of the so-called Voter Fraud Commission, which imploded when, one, they couldn't find any fraudulent voters in America. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I asked, I said, by the way, these double voters, can you name two? Can you name two for me? And he couldn't. He couldn't find two on the list. And I showed him the list of, of names that didn't match. And James Edward Brown, James Thomas Brown. Um, so he, you have to understand, he is a strategic, he's a, a top strategist for the Republican Party. By the way, degrees from Yale, Harvard, and Oxford. This guy's no dummy. He is really quite brilliant at knowing how to remove voters and coming up with, with ideas like they're crawling across the border. That becomes an excuse for all kinds of, of uh, shenanigans to remove voters by the hundreds of thousands in a single state. Can you talk about what the immigration czar position is and why it's so dangerous? Yes, I mean, I think this is misreported. Kovac wanted to be Homeland Security deputy, but um, 
Flynn, of all people, and 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 others in the in uh, Trump's circle really don't like Kobach. He's not liked by the uh, Republican Party, for example, in Kansas. One of the reasons he lost is that his own party abandoned him and voted for a third party candidate. But so he couldn't get the deputy job. So Trump, his buddy, is putting him in charge of the Department of Homeland Security. The czar will be above Homeland Security. He'll also have control of defense. He'll have control of the Treasury. He'll con have control of the census. And say, why are these things important? By being the, the chief on immigration issues for all of these uh, cabinet uh, positions. Is that, for example, he's the guy, and he told me this proudly, who came up with the idea of asking for uh, your, if there are any non-citizens in your household, or if you're a non-citizen, on the census form. It's in the courts right now, like all his stuff. But um, this is very dangerous. Not only suppresses uh, um, immigrants, people with immigrants in their home who are scared that there might be roundups. They don't know what's going to happen next. You know, Trump's talking about revoking green cards, revoking citizenship of, of people born here. Uh, this is new stuff. And this is coming from Kobach. So he would have sense. He said he would take the sense. He's actually said he would and we should take your answers on census forms, which are generally considered completely confidential, and compare it to the voter rolls. Now, understand, using his cross-check experience, if you have Jose Garcia saying, I have someone in my house who's a non-citizen, they say, aha, it says Jose Garcia on the voter rolls. We're going to remove him from the voter rolls. Um, so it's also defense. So he's in control of the border. Remember, we're taking money, basically stealing money from the Defense Department to build this wall so that that Kobach will be in charge of it. He'll also be in charge of the policy of what we do with children when they uh, when they hit the border. As you know, the the the, the, uh, the centers, the intake centers, are 400% overcrowded. As far as Kobach's concerned, he you know his background and his style. He he with Joe Arpaio created these massive open air tents, kind of uh, con kind of a lightweight uh, concentration camp. I don't want to compare it to the Nazis because they, they don't kill them at the end. But these are massive concentration camps in the desert built by the state of Arizona to, to take in the so-called aliens and alien voters. Gosh. You know, this, Ooh, this is Kobach. Voters. Wow. So that means they can round up, you know, just voters and put them in there. That's yes. terrifying. Uh, it, and this position of czar doesn't require any Senate approval or a hearing or anything. So there's not much oversight, that's, if any. You know, that's... That's the brilliance of it. That's why I suspect that Kobach suggested the idea. Uh, he's always like, talking hey, about a czar. <laughs> See, he knows he, can't, he he knows he cannot. He knows he cannot get like Trump. He knows he can't get elected or, or approved by the Senate or passed by a confirmation vote of the Senate. There's no way he could get through the Senate, even because Republicans would abandon him. But a czar, just like the czar of Russia, is not elected. It's not, it's not, not, but you don't have to go through the approval process in the Senate or the confirmation process. Doesn't you have to go through hearings? If Trump goes through with this appointment, what are we likely to see from Kobach? Yeah, he, like I say, I've talked to him many times, uh, sometimes on, when he didn't want to talk to me, but um, he's very fast. He already has the plans in his pocket. He's written long memoranda to the, uh, to the president about what he would do. And again, he would uh, one of the things he's, he would be uh, working on with Barr. Remember, he's the czar. So he would work with Attorney General Barr on further attacking the Voting Rights Act. That's one of the things. And the National Voter Registration Act, the motor voter law, 
which has stopped him dead in his tracks. For example, a federal judge threw out uh, the law in Kansas that said you had to prove your citizenship before you can register to vote. Now, you may think, well, why can't what's wrong with that? The answer is it's not red China. We don't have citizenship cards here. And so uh, 36,000 people, by the way, it was almost all students and uh, officers at the, in a Kansas Air Force base who had moved to the state. So it was soldiers and soldiers, soldiers and students who um, lost their right to vote. 36,000 Kansans lost their right to vote in the 2016 election. If he had gotten this past a federal judge, then, um, and this spread nationwide, this would be millions of people. By the way, of the 36,000 people he blocked from voting, he admitted to the federal judge, not one, not a single one was an illegal alien voter. Not one, yet all these people lost their vote. And he was thrilled because who are, who are these voters? Students are Democrats, basically. That's what it's all about. It's about stealing the vote. It's not about securing the borders. It's not about stopping illegal aliens. It's not about stopping the drug traffic. It's about stopping legitimate voters from voting. That's the real agenda, which is being completely missed by the mainstream media. We're speaking with Greg Palast, investigative reporter. Greg, can you talk about where we are with interstate cross-check? I know you have an article on gregpalast.com saying that that is on the verge of collapse, which sounds like good news, even in the face of this quite likely very, very bad news. Well, I'm really thrilled because, you know, six years ago when I uncovered interstate cross-check, there was only good publicity about, it. oh, we're finding the illegal double voters. And no reporter had questioned. Not one reporter questioned, wait, can we see the list? And he refused these the names of the 7.2 million suspects to me, but I got them anyway. That's what we do at Greg Palace uh, Investigations. It's old-fashioned gumshoeer. And, um, and we busted this as racist, as the lists are completely phony. By the way, they're insecure, too, for those concerned about cyber attack. So as a result of the exposure, we've had a massive exodus from cross-check. Now, it's not massive enough. We have 20, we had 20 states, uh, excuse me, 30 states in interstate cross-check. 10 have fled saying it's racist, it's wrong, it's inaccurate, it removes legal voters. Um, each state has a, a different comment about why they're, they're fleeing. And a lot of states, for example, the state of Georgia is, uh, says that they will not, a lot of states who are still in it say they won't use it. And then most important, the new Secretary of State of Kansas, though a Republican, is an anti is part of the anti-Kobach faction and is basically shut down the program. My concern is that while there are no new lists being generated in this horrific interstate cross-check operation, two things. Number one, many states, while they're not getting new lists, are removing voters from the old list. Georgia, before the 2018 midterm election removed 116,000 voters who were on the cross-check list. That's mostly voters of color. That explains alone, that alone explains Stacey Abrams' loss in the midterm election uh, to Brian Kemp. Uh, Kemp is a real acolyte of, uh, of Chris Kobach. The second danger is that Kobach, having a national office, could in effect create a kind of national cross-check program. This is what he was going to try to do in his in that previous appointment by Trump, which collapsed. But I think we're going to see him try it again if this appointment goes through. 
Do you think that their their strong desire to suppress the vote indicates that they're concerned about a 2020 loss? They seem to think it's Trump 2020 no matter what. Well, I mean, he did already uh, lose to Hillary, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, when Kobach says a million votes of Hillary's popular uh, margin came from illegal alien voters. What he's signaling is that they're going after a million people before 2020 to pull them off the voter rolls. The, the, uh, so his claims of massive, massive voter fraud are going to be used to remove legitimate folks. He's probably, <laughs> other journalists are calling to say, can we talk to Greg? It's Chris Kobach, he knows you're talking about him. Well, he does call. I mean, after I jumped him, he, he does call to try to make his case. He's he's not a, he's not a fool by any means. And this is the dangerous part. He's very wily. He's usually a step ahead of everyone else. And in fact, the newest and most dangerous thing that that uh, we're looking at is what they're using in Georgia, uh, which is, um, is that they're saying people have simply moved out of state using Chris Kobach's list. Again, if he has these national lists, he can send lists to states saying these people have moved when they have, again, oh, Jose Garcia, he's not in Florida anymore. He's in Michigan just because there's two Jose Garcias. And again, I want to emphasize that his list that I've gotten, 25% of them have mismatched middle names, let alone, you know, uh, other errors. So yes, they cannot win legitimately because of the demographics of America. This is a changing nation and uh, they, they just... A guy like Trump does not have uh, the demographics that will carry him through Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. You know, in, in Michigan, I reported um, uh, in my film for, uh, for Democracy Now! that 75,355 votes were never counted because machines broke down in Detroit. And they say, well, we don't know who these people voted for because the machines broke down. Well, it's Motown. Did they vote for Trump? And Trump won that state by 10,000 votes, supposedly. So he can't win Michigan fair and square. If he can't win Michigan, he can't win Ohio or Wisconsin fair and square or Georgia or North Carolina or Arizona. Um, I don't see how Trump or any Republican at this point can, can really carry uh, the electoral votes. Greg, we were talking to Rebecca Santano, who works for ACT TV, about her. Um, she went down to the border and she took some photographs, and it was her takeaway, along with the other activists down there, that um, Trump's new policies uh, around Guatemala and Honduras, and I know we're getting a little off topic for voter suppression, uh, were basically to you know, make it terrible down there and then drive more people to come across the border so that he could have better photo opportunities to say, look at these hordes and masses, we really need to do something about this. And um, those big tent uh, tent concentration camps, she took some photos, I put them up on our Twitter page and on my own Twitter account. And it, it does look terrible, it does look concentration campy, and it looks like there's lots and lots of people there, um, including children out in the heat and then at night in the cold. But the, the idea that she was, talking about, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, is that Trump is staging a PR campaign so that he can do additional nefarious things, including disenfranchise a large majority of the black and brown population off the voter rolls for 2020. Well, look, 
Trump makes a big deal that he has his generals, as he calls them, and all of his generals. I mean, every single one of them that have advised him have said, if you if you take away aid to Honduras and Guatemala and Salvador, you have a desperate, dangerous, horrid situation down there with basically um, uh, narco traficantes running these nations and, uh, you know, um, and chasing people out scared for their lives. And obviously, so if you don't fight the narco traficantes down there, you're going to chase people up north. And the, uh, the president of Mexico, um, uh, Lopez Obrador, has said, my God, if you, you know, he's, he's actually, even though he's a leftist, he's trying to stop people from crossing through his nation. But, um, you know, he knows that Trump is basically pushing them north. And I think that that does create, uh, you know, you create a crisis, then you declare a crisis. And don't forget, it's not just a crisis at the border. You've got it correct, which is that what's really happening in here is that you create a hysteria that people named Jose Garcia are here illegally, that you can stop them, that you can harass them. You can scare them away from voting, scare them away from filling out census forms, which, by the way, cuts the power. People have to understand, if you don't fill out your census form, your neighborhood gets less representation in, your, in the Congress, state legislature, less money from the government. So he knows it's a way to effectively cut the vote by cutting the census count in Hispanic congressional districts. It's quite brilliant. If you want to beat Beto O'Rourke out of Texas, take away his voter base by scaring them off. And if you want to if you want to take away the Democratic control of of the House, you simply shrink Democratic uh, districts and you, you shrink the populations in those districts. So you can gerrymander them. It's all you know, it. it all these things go together, gerrymandering, vote suppression, a crisis at the border. And that's why Kobach is so dangerous, because he has his big mind. The truth is, he's kind of like a Steve Bannon, actually a very brilliant guy with very widespread understanding of how all these things interlock in a most dangerous way. So how do we defeat um, Kobach and how do we defeat voter suppression? You just did it. Um, I just told you 10 states have fled cross-check and Kansas may shut down the whole program because of exposure. My film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, was shown by the League of Women Voters 60 times during the election. Now, I am a, I really am nonpartisan, but people thank me for eliminating Chris Kobach as governor. And that's not true, but you're welcome. And so it's exposure. <laughs> it's exposure. And and uh, people, you know, most Americans, Republicans, Democrats, I'm telling you, are not happy when Americans lose their right to vote. When you had Air Force officers being turned away from uh, the polls because Chris Kobach said they couldn't prove that they're citizens. Remember, being in the military is not a proof of citizenship. You have to have a birth certificate or a passport, which is known as a white travel document. You know, and so um, exposure. And action, continual action and pressure is the big, big thing. And of course, lawsuits don't hurt either. I've turned over my material to um, lawyers, as long as they're nonpartisan, um, ACLU and other organizations who can use the, this documentation to stop these evil laws. But of course, we have to stop them in lower courts before they go to the Kavanaugh Roberts court. But, you know, it's a fight. It's never over. Um, you know, people think, oh, well, Selma happened over a half century ago. Uh, we have Martin Luther King's day, uh, birthday off. So, you know, 
we're done with civil rights and voting rights. Not at all. Every generation, we have to fight it again. We're talking to Greg Palast, investigative journalist. You can find his work at gregpalast.com. Greg, now turning to Venezuela, you covered Venezuela during the Chavez presidency for BBC, for Newsnight, and for The Guardian. In your latest article on Venezuela, you say that white supremacy is really the key to Trump's coup. Can you talk about the uprising in Venezuela and how it relates to white supremacy? And also, how come we haven't heard about this anywhere else pretty much? Well, uh, there's two big questions there. First, white supremacy. I don't think people understand this. If you're listening on the radio, you're going to have to go to gregpalace.com to see the photos. Two photos tell it all. Put them on the Twitter look, also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, uh, which is that if you look at the uh, kind of class photo of, uh, there's the photo of all the opposition Congress people on the steps of the assembly. And uh, there's about 60 of them. And if you look at the photo, they're almost entirely white. It looks like a Republican uh, meeting at a country club. It's a lily white group. That's the opposition that backs this guy who's declared himself President Juan Guaido. Okay? Li- so is Guaido. He's white. Now, it's a nation which is mostly not white. It's mestizo, about 70% mestizo. And if you look at the pro-government, that is, the, the, those who back the, the government that, uh, um, that succeeded to Hugo Chavez, the late Hugo Chavez, you will look at the 120, the larger group of, of those opposite of the government um, deputies, and you will see basically what looks like the NAACP meeting in Birmingham. And it's all dark faces. And by the way, I was at an NAACP mer- meeting in Birmingham, so I, it's not just a metaphor. It's true. You're reporting. It, so, You're not making yes, a comment. You were reporting. <laughs> I was in, in Venezuela, this is what I saw. As Hugo Chavez told me, and I knew him well, and by the way, I knew the opposition people as well. Uh, what Chavez told me is, look, I'm Negro a Indian. I'm black and I'm Indian, Indian featured. And they hated. He was the Nelson Mandela of Venezuela. 400 years of white elite rule. People lived until Chavez got there. He had a million people living in, uh, in Caracas in cardboard houses with tin roofs. And he ended that. He took the oil money. Venezuela's floating on oil, literally. They took the oil money and gave people housing, created. The, he had Medicare for all before we've got it in Venezuela. And according to the CIA fact book, and this is important, um, the poverty rate went from 50 percent to 27 percent. Basically, Chavez cut the poverty rate in half. What does this have to do with race? Everything. Just like in America, the color of poverty is brown. And black. And Chavez gave the Negro e Indio folks the oil money, and the rich white people were used to having the oil money. They hated him, and it was racist. If you look at, I was in demonstrations. You see those big demonstrations. By the way, the so called dictatorship allows some pretty big opposition demonstrations that you don't see in Red China, I can tell you that. Um, and Or in Saudi Arabia, our, our other oil democracy ally, right? So you have these big opposition rallies, and they're huge, one to 200,000 people, massive. And they're white, and, the, and, the, and they're proud of white elite. They actually march in business suits, the women in high heels, I kid you not. And then you see the pro-Chavista, the pro-Chavez successor government, that's uh, Maduro's government, Nicolas Maduro, and almost entirely black and brown folks, mestizo uh, people, and uh, they're wearing their jeans, 
and their yellow uh, T-shirts that they wear, their patriotic T-shirts and their sneakers. And that's the the pro-government demonstrations, which are much larger than the anti-government demonstrations. Uh, so so race is at the heart of this. When I talk to the to the white opposition people, they would call Chavez and, and Maduro. They would say, oh, they're monkeys. They constantly that was the term they use. They're monkeys, you know, dark, uh, dark skinned people. That's you know, so this is a type of core racism, which is at the heart of this coup d'etat. And of course, Trump loves it. This is this is like as if, uh, you know, this is uh, Trump's dream of America except that he was only able to try to pull this off in Venezuela. It seems important to understand that it wasn't Maduro's policies that called the wild, uh, caused the wild inflation in Venezuela. It seems like that's what gets reported, that it's on him. But it was, in fact, the collapse of the oil prices. Well, two things. First, the oil prices collapsed, so there was no money for the so these social programs, like, for example, universal health care, universal education, um, um, guaranteed housing. It was social programs themselves that collapsed the government. It was right. So what happened is, is that the, the oil money ran out, but then the U.S. Um, embargoed has run a what what the U.N. rapporteur now understand U.N. rapporteur is the guy sent by the United Nations to get the facts, and he called the U.S. embargo, which is joined by uh, right wing governments of Europe, uh, it's called it a medieval siege. We are literally stopping food and medicine and and ability for the nation to maintain itself. I know that Maduro has said, for example, that the blackouts that recently occurred were a matter of sabotage, you know, and it might be because uh, we we did that to Iraq before the, the war. George Bush was proud of turning off Iraq's lights. Uh, we did it in Cuba, according to the uh, NSA files. We could have done it. But I think the main thing is, um, is that you can't get parts for the system. So a transformer goes out. Those are made in Germany. And they can't get those because Angela Merkel has joined the embargo. You can't get the glass insulators, which are made in the U.S. And so the system is collapsing because you can't get the electric system, the water system. It all collapses because there's an embargo on spare parts. And they had that PR gimmick where Richard Branson, the billionaire, was chucking food over the border. Uh, Mr. Billionaire Branson. Uh, uh, Marco Rubio and all the papers said, oh, the Maduro government is stopping the people from being fed. No, they don't need a couple baskets of food uh, thrown over the fence at the border. They need their own money. The United States government, are you ready for this? The United States government has, has taken the oil money. Venezuela sold oil to the Koch brothers, by the way. That's their number one customer. The Koch brothers are very fine in the Gulf Coast. They took the money that was that the Koch brothers are supposed to give to Chavez. And the Koch brothers, of course, happily turned it over to Trump, where it's sequestered by the U.S. Treasury. And in addition, Britain is holding a billion and a half dollars in gold, solid gold bricks in the exchequer, which belong to Brit, uh, to Venezuela. They will not release the, the gold. They will not release or sell it and give Venezuela the money. Venezuela doesn't need charity. It doesn't need boxes of fruit. It does need its own money. So it can feed its people, which is it has done with its own resources, which are being embargoed, sequestered, stolen, basically, from the people. Do you think it's more than the U.S. just wants the oil? And do you do you think it is just the, the idea that a country could have nationalized 
an oil, a nationalized oil company, a national health care, um, cutting of poverty rates. Do you think it's just they don't want anyone to look over there because perhaps they'll see that actually these other things do work? That you know, it's almost like a a blackout, worldwide had, blackout. I had this discussion with Joe Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize winning economist, and we agreed that one of the reasons that they hated Chavez was that he busted the Washington, so-called Washington consensus that, you know, uh, free enterprise, free markets, free trade, the whole right wing, Thatcherite, Reaganite, Clintonite agenda. And um, and that Chavez busted that by showing that, you know, again, according to the CIA's own internal fact book, that he raised uh, the life expectancy in the nation and, and cut poverty in half. And he did that with by doing the opposite, saying the hell with free trade, we're going to have fair trade and you want our oil, you're going to have to pay for it. So they, yeah, oil is the main driver. You know, there's, if it was broccoli, we'd probably let Venezuela do whatever the hell they want. But uh, they, they, you know, you have to understand, they forced out um, Exxon. Exxon has sued the Venezuelan government and Guaido has promised to bring them back in. In fact, it's open. Actually, John Bolton, our national security uh, agency chief, you know, the neocon nutcase, the guy who lied us into Iraq. He, with his so-called new ambassador to Venezuela, Elliot Abrams, Mr. Death Squad, um, and another Iraq fabricator, uh, big, the big fibbers. So these guys, I mean, Bolton got on, on Fox TV and actually said that he's been in discussion with U.S. oil companies about taking the Venezuelan oil assets, oh, he said, for America and for the, the people of Venezuela. What do you mean? And, uh, oh, it's nice that you'll let Venezuela have a little bit of its own oil. And, but again, you're right. It's the, it's bust, it's the idea that a FDR, um, John Kennedy, Bernie Sanders type social programs can actually lift a nation out of poverty as opposed to the free market nonsense. This drove the right wing ideologues completely insane. And when I included the ideologues, it's not just Reagan and Thatcher. I want to include the Clintons. Mm, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, here's a question no one's really asking so much. I haven't heard that much, but I'd like to hear your input about it. Don't we have a climate change problem? So, I mean, if we... Let Venezuela take all their own oil. Not let, but if they decide, you know, where is Venezuela on the green revolution that we need all countries to kind of jump on board for in order that we all don't suffer? So the, the issue is, is, is the sourness and viscosity of oil. This, now we're going to get just a slight bit technical. Venezuela has some of the filthiest oil on earth it's a uh, heavy oil out of the orinoco it's it's glop okay and um when you burn oil from venezuela like the cokes do at their at their refinery on the on the gulf coast of texas they can't use by the way texas oil it's too it's not filthy enough it's too light i kid you not they can't use texas oil even though their refinery is in the middle of oil fields they need the, the filthy crap from venezuela however you say well then we don't want venezuelan oil but guess what here's the other problem the other place you can get heavy oil is from the tar sands of Canada. And that's why no one seems to ask, why are we running the, the Keystone XL pipeline to Texas? Isn't there oil already in Texas? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense if you know that the Koch brothers 
cannot use Texas oil. They need the super heavy oil. Venezuela was charging a premium to the Koch brothers, knowing that they were a, um, a captive customer. So if we don't have Venezuelan oil, the alternative, and they're beginning to bring it down by rail car right now, the alternative is the uh, oil, which is five times as sulfurous, five times as heavy, five times worse than Venezuelan oil are the tar sands oils of Canada. Those, the tar sands oils are earth burners. And I know that, oh, and people uh, uh, love um, Trudeau, uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, because he's, he's very handsome. He's very cool. And he talks about global warming, but he's the number one seller of the filthiest oil on the planet. And he's one of the people that was the first to join Trump in calling this pretender Guaido the president of Venezuela. Why? Because Venezuela is his number one competitor for selling filthy oil. Justin Trudeau is uh, the guy who is talking about climate change, but he's the guy who's changing the climate. I'm very upset. I need a moment. <laughs> How are we supposed to... Oh, this is so disturbing. There's like no, there's no one to look to, really. Oh, well, there is. And they're, oh, they're okay on social programs, but they're going to let your kids burn in an eternal hellfire of climate, you know, destruction. Well, you know, again, history, I'm unfortunately old enough to know that history swings back and forth. And Hugo, you know, the, the neocons yeah, the had... Didn't blow up last time we're like at the edge you know oh yeah i, I know falls off the table. yes well and that is a problem but i have to say that you know everyone thought that that uh, um latin america was simply going to be under the control of right-wing pro-market fascist uh death squad uh, leaders etc and then you had a sudden left resurgence you have amlo the progressive new president of, of mexico whose election by the way was stolen in 2006 and he fought that back fought back to win it in 18. And um, you had the uh, fascists in Venezuela and uh, the military in Argentina and, and uh, you know, Pinochet in, in uh, Chile. But then there was a resurgence to the left. Now it's come back. The, the right wing has figured out ways to literally choke, embargo, and uh, destroy progressive governments. So, okay, but then there will be another reaction an uprising, a popular reaction. I count on it. I see this change in every generation and uh, this won't last forever. And, you know, the seas is rising and there's going to be a lot of people just like, you know, you know, funny, don't forget, it was the Republican Party of Kansas, which effectively expelled Kobach, even though they knew that meant electing a Democratic governor. Uh, but the Republican leadership was dead set again and said, we have to, we can't have Kobach. And there's a lot of people like, um, like uh, even like uh, kind of monstrous right-wingers um, who are afraid that Kobach, you can't take away the voting rights of enough Hispanic Americans to win elections forever. We're speaking with Greg Pallast, investigative reporter. We're at the end of the show. That was me talking to Greg yesterday. Um, God, he's a national treasure, as I say. You can find his articles about these issues and more, and more longer in-depth writing about Venezuela at gregpalace.com. Hey, you've been listening to Waking Up with Juliana Forlano.